0: seasonal and local supply of flowers and foliage. This week, we're welcoming back Melissa Feveyer, founder and creative director of Seattle-based Terra Bella Flowers, a past guest of the Slow Flowers podcast. You first heard from Melissa when she appeared as our guest in 2015. It's been nearly five years since she and I recorded that episode. Some of you may know Melissa from the pages of the 50-mile bouquet as a pioneering leader in sustainable floral design. Recently, Melissa expanded her retail shop in Seattle's Greenwood-Finney Ridge neighborhood, and I visited her there to record today's episode. But first, this week marks the launch of a new bonus series on the podcast called Stories of Resilience. Now more than ever, the message of sustainability and seasonal and locally available flowers is top of mind among consumers, flower farmers, and florists. Yet, due to the unprecedented pandemic and health crisis, many of us are hunkered down at home, our business plans are in limbo, and we're all trying to get a grasp on what the future, short and long-term, looks like. My heart breaks for us all, and I hope, I so hope, that the Slow Flowers Podcast can continue to be a companion to those of you in isolation, away from your physical community of peers, neighbors, customers, and friends. I don't have many answers, but I do want to keep the lines of communication open and accessible. Celeste Monk of Free Range Flowers is our first Stories of Resilience guest. I'm so pleased that she joined me for a recorded conversation last week. I had spent much of the prior 10 days envisioning ways to help our community through various channels in the Slow Flowers platform. Bringing you the Stories of Resilience series is one low-tech way to support you as we begin adjusting to the new normal. We've always used the Slow Flowers podcast as a forum for conversation, and now this podcast will bring you voices of flower farmers and floral designers as we discuss ideas, strategies, and resources to help you stay grounded in your purpose and calling through your own floral enterprise. Sustaining your floral enterprise is as important as your sustainable practices. Here's a bit more about Free Range Flowers and its farmers. Free Range Flowers is an eight acre flower farm in Whatcom County, located just 10 miles from downtown Bellingham, Washington, at a ranch founded by Jay Roloff. Jay is described as a dreamer at heart. His long term vision pulls everything on the farm into order. He's the farm's anchor. He is also a true grower. Having studied horticulture at Montana State and managing field operations for a large native plant nursery, Jay has an intuitive sense for what plants need and an agile understanding of mechanics and farm systems. Jay's partner, Celeste Monk, is the farm's full-time farmer and florist. Besides being a grower, she's a dreamer, a lover, a feeler, an optimist, and a bit of a rebel. Celeste made her roundabout way from Arizona to Bellingham in trying to find a way to live a life of positive production. In spending time as a seed collector and propagator, she found a partner, Jay, with whom she started a cut flower farm. Celeste and Jay operate free-range flowers with an emphasis on sustainable practices, wildflowers, and native plants. When not outdoors working, Celeste tries to find time to be outdoors playing, talking philosophy, writing poetry, and trying to make the world more just. Celeste is an at-large board member of the Washington Young Farmers Coalition, which supports Washington's young and beginning farmers and farm workers in their pursuit of agrarian revival. By offering unique social and educational events, enabling access to critical resources, and fostering a strong community of allies. So let's jump right in and hear from Celeste. Well, today I am very uh, honored and humbled to uh, start a new series that we're hopefully going to bring to you every week on the podcast uh, called Stories of Resilience. I don't know what else to call it, but The idea came from an email I received from today's guest, Celeste Monk of Free Range Flowers. Hi, Celeste.
1: Deborah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for jumping on the line with me. We had a different phone meeting, but then pivoted to this. (laughs) (laughs) But we were corresponding earlier this week about a a presentation you were going to give at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market where you sell, and um, uh, we were trying to figure out how to switch it over to like a virtual, you know, Instagram live or Facebook live kind of thing. And while we were corresponding about that, you struck, something you said really struck me where you said, I'm really, this sounds great, but I'm really concerned about more deep, you know, deeper issues like how farms can be resilient in this time. And it just struck me as like so appropriate to have that conversation. So thank you for raising the the question. I didn't really know how to wrap my arms around it, but now you've given me a great <laughs> idea, Celeste. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no problem. I think it's something that probably all all flower farmers are grappling with right now. Yep, and their customers, the
0: florists. Um, yeah,
1: for sure. <laughs> Awesome. Well,
0: so just to give everyone a picture of of who you are and your who, what your farm is, can you talk about where free range, what kind of farm is free range flowers, and where you're at, and what are you know kind of what are all your facets of the business?
1: Yeah. Okay. So we grow on eight acres, about one inch and a half intensively. Um, primarily cut flowers. I grow mostly with my partner Jay, and we're starting to expand into the realm of employment. Um, What else can I tell you? We're in uh, Bellingham, Washington, on Coast Salish land, uh, a little bit inland. Um, We're in maybe Zone 7A-ish. And, yeah, we grow a lot of flowers. Um, We've really, through this, been remembering that we are trying to focus on perennials and native plants and wildflowers. Um, and so trying to, yeah, pivot now uh, a little bit. Yeah.
0: On your website, it says Free Range Flowers is a boutique flower farm and design studios. So you really are that far- oh. farmer florist uh, <laughs> space, right?
1: Yeah. So our sales are to wholesale, um, the wholesale growers market and a few wholesalers. Uh, florists. And then we also do on-farm bulk pickup and pickup of bouquets and boutonnieres. And we do a bit of full service. Uh, It's a little hard to balance with the farming schedule, but it keeps things really creative and interesting.
0: When did you start the farm?
1: In November of
0: 2016. Wow. Wow. But you had the land prior to kind of establishing a flower farm, right?
1: Yeah. Jay's been building this place since 2001. Wow! And I had previous um, experience with like orcharding and market vegetable production, uh, and native plant seed collection and propagation. Wow!
0: So. Wow! Yeah, you you were you had your fingers in the
1: soil, but just in, in other. We
0: were going to be farming. Wow! So when did you start selling um, through the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market? Is this
1: your second season? Uh, this will be our third. We sold on consignment. And one season, then as a provisional member, and then we're
0: members this year. Okay, wow, wow. Okay, well, now we've got the new reality of the new normal of not knowing anything about uh, what's going on here on March twentieth. Um, will you be taking? <laughs> we are you harvesting yet to take product to the growers market? I uh, no, we're
1: just about to have blooming branches start to come on. We're a little bit colder than anywhere else um, usually yeah. that sells at the market. So we're kind of the last, and I don't, and we just put up a big greenhouse, so we aren't really prepared for those super early crops. We usually have sales mostly May through October, and we're starting to push that a little bit.
0: Cause the greenhouse will allow you say for 2021 to have earlier crops. In theory, yes. (laughs) Um, When you said flowering branches, is that because you've had orchards on the property and you're able to prune some of the um, the the you know fruiting the flowering fruit trees? Or
1: yeah, Jay has like apples and plums and uh, peaches planted out.
0: Uh, I know I've seen those, and I just didn't quite associate the fact that you have to have an orchard to, or have some kind of orchard emphasis to have that variety of flowering branches. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. So you were telling me that you're on the board of the, the young, is it called Washington Young Farmers? Yeah. Tell me about that.
1: Um, I originally joined because I was frustrated by the lack of like farmer and farm worker solidarity, which mm. is something I think that still needs to be, emphasized and developed and worked through. Um, But uh, also because I think like community is really important in a profession that often um, like relies on a lot of self-isolation. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. You're so right.
0: (laughs) So just connecting with other peers in all sorts of agriculture really seemed like a, a, just in its intelligent way to stay connected with what's happening in policy making and, and that sort of thing.
1: So the Washington Young Farmers um, is working to sort of connect uh, farmers across the state and particularly advocating for the needs of uh, farmers who in their first few years are first generation farmers, but really we're seeing the need to aggregate um the needs and uh, opportunities of like all farms across our state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, uh, because you're highly
0: competent, all of a sudden you join the board. Right? <laughs> you were asked to join the board, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I applied for another job, which somebody far more suited for it than I got, thankfully. Um, and. <laughs> Uh, and then they offered me a position on the board, and I said, sure, <laughs> I need more things.
0: What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, so you actually said that this week, earlier this week, um, that you uh, participated in kind of a, a forum online that for people to just get kind of hear from each other and, and get encouragement and maybe some more solid details. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, uh, we had... Four core organizers throw together very rapidly a a webinar that had over 500 registrants. Wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of need and interest. I think um, we collected information on what people were concerned about uh, and what they needed help with. And then had a panel of producers um, from different areas. Uh, respond to a few questions about what they were doing to manage through this and what they need from agencies. Um, so I was part of that panel. And then they had some of the agency service providers also present like a food bank, um, WSDA, regional markets And a couple of others so that farmers can kind of get an idea of what's happening on the ground, farmers market, things like that. Um, And then there was a participatory element where people broke into small groups of like five to seven people so that they could discuss between themselves sort of what was shifting and what resources were needed and things like that.
0: That's amazing. That technology allowed people to break out and do small group discussions.
1: Yeah, isn't that cool? It's a feature of Zoom, I guess, and People's Hub helped to put that together and provide the tech for it. It was really great.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So the, it, it, I think it's really important that you had this panel of producers from different facets. Was there a flower farmer who, produ- who presented? Were you one of them?
1: i was the flower farmer that presented
0: (laughs) good i'm glad i we got to keep flowers at the table in agriculture but the fact that 500 people participated just for one state is just it's sobering and also inspiring to see that that's nation is there yeah
1: it's really exciting i hope we we seem to have a lot of momentum and i hope that keeps moving forward so Celeste what
0: were some of the stories of resiliency that you heard or is it just kind of such early days that people are not quite certain of what their what their pivot is
1: I, I think people are trying to figure it out we're seeing a lot of motion uh, on towards online sales platforms um Oregon Tilt is holding a webinar for that uh, today I believe too um, and really for like immediate the need for immediate funding we're kind of just trying to provide a space to assess what people need so that we can try and get match that with the resources and the advocacy to provide those things
0: especially from uh, s- state agencies and and that, and farming organizations
1: Um, and the development of like mutual a mutual aid program for farmers tell me about that um, I can, I should refer you to, uh, one of our core organizers that's working to set that up. Sure. Um, but there's a lot of mutual aid, uh, programs that we're seeing come to light as our government safety nets sort of appear to not be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I think there's a lot of desire to help farmers and not necessarily the forums to do that. So trying to create structures for that. Um, COVID mutual aid in Seattle has been really inspiring on how to like mobilize and aggregate needs.
0: I'll try to get some of these links to put in our show notes. Um, and maybe <laughs> I wonder, was the webinar uh, recorded? Is that something that maybe we could um, put provide yeah, a link I can send for? That, to
1: you. Mm-hmm.
0: that would be yep. wonderful. I think it sounds like the, the um, online selling um, is probably happening in many parts of the country, because people are trying to provide a safe platform for customers to find their product and order their product. Um, uh, not just in flowers, but it's probably happening a lot in food as well. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of, and, and I think we'll be growing some food too this year, just seeing how much of a need we have for greater food sovereignty and food security. um, so, like, I mean, like, there aren't any vegetables, really, in our neighborhood stores,
2: uh, right.
1: and people don't feel comfortable pawing through stacks of veggies anymore, um, so the CSA model has really been picking up steam again after sort of being on the downward trend for a while. Yeah. Do you have,
0: a, or in the past, have you had a CSA?
1: I've not. I've mostly sold to food banks, um, to, uh, I was part of a mobile farm stand in the Eastern County where there's a lot of food access issues. Um, yeah. And just through wholesale mostly.
0: So, but, but what you're highlighting is the fact that you do have access to growing ground to add edibles to your to your sort of palette of what you grow.
1: Yeah, I I'm nervous about the financial impact of doing that, but I also feel like if we have land and there's such a clear need for for it, then it's sort of our responsibility to take on some of that.
0: And maybe if it's just to feed your yourself and your immediate neighborhood or your, you know. Yeah.
1: That's what I'm looking at is like ultra local distribution. Uh,
0: Have you, are you seeing any conversation about co-farming? Like if people perhaps lose their lease, then they have maybe another person who would provide them some growing area.
1: Yeah, I, um, I, we're not really seeing so much of that yet, but we're seeing a lot of partnerships between farmers for distribution and, um, and different CSA components coming together. So I'm really expecting that as we go forward and just seeing more collaborations, um, between farmers and organizations, between farmers and other farmers, between everybody, you know, mm-hmm. as we have to like really rely on our communities to be resilient. And that's, was a great reminder of how necessary that is.
0: It's true. Wow. It's, it's, it is, I use the word sobering just because, uh, a- it's so hard to even feel like you have the answers so early in um, in watching, you know, this this horrible virus, you know, take over our lives. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the goalpost keeps shifting every single day. I know I was like in this mindset thinking, oh, this will be over by April 1st. And like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I just was kind of deluding myself. And now I, I feel like I have to be a little bit more of live in the moment, but plan for the future kind of
1: attitude. Uh, yeah, and attitude. grow the future that you want, I guess, and sort of, I mean, we, like, we pay a mortgage, and I do worry about that, but I also um, can't can't just stand still. So it's trying to keep moving while living with a lot of anxiety <laughs> um, and just looking at um how this is really impacting our vulnerable communities, and trying to see what we can do. Yeah.
0: Do you take when I called you originally? You were outside watering, and I could hear your livestock, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was really charming. We, I, <laughs> I asked you to go to a quiet place just so I could get a good audio. But <laughs> do you feel like just the physical act of farming is is uh, a benefit for just your sanity?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think for everybody's sanity, really having any kind of access to to land and green space is super important. And so we're trying to figure out too how to make that more available to the community in a safe way, um, especially as people like need varied environments more and more with social distancing and whatnot. Um, hmm. Yeah. What do so, you think? yeah. I, th- I mean, that's like my working meditation is weeding, right? <laughs> like people knit or
0: whatever. Right. 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 Wow. Well, will you um, keep me posted on some, some of your actions and I'll circle back with you. I know, cause we're working on this, um, what will now be a virtual workshop on April 4th <laughs> for, uh, the Seattle wholesale growers market, our local, our local, uh, education and outreach effort. But, um, I just, I just think that some tools will, that you are going to provide links for uh, will at least help people thinking about, start thinking about, don't be isolated, reach out to fellow growers, to your customers, and to maybe some of the um, the agencies and nonprofits that are are there to uh, supposedly support farmers and um, see what, what resources are available.
1: Yeah, and I think they really want to. I think what we're seeing is there's a lot of regulatory issues and there are, uh, there's also not a ton of funding um, for these sorts of things. So trying to mobilize and definitely like talking to your representatives is important in this moment. Um, But I also, and this is a little bit unrelated to what you said, but I just want to say that I think if there's a moment for the local floral industry to sort of take over the floral industry in general, like it's now. Because we're seeing how precarious international imports are um, and really that if we can center land and then farmers in our floral industry, uh, like we have an opportunity to do that at this moment. I I
0: couldn't agree more. I I've had those silver lining conversations with myself uh, and with others all week, thinking mm-hmm. that the you used the word did you say hyper local or ultra you use the word ultra local like the ultra local uh, solution is more profound than ever, and um, if we can raise that to the top of people's consciousness as they're making choices. Um, you know, it will benefit and, and, and strengthen, I think, the infrastructure that we've been, you know, working really hard to save in the last, you know, decades. So yeah. lo- I appreciate those words of encouragement. And I, I'm going to try to pivot back and forth, uh, alternate between farmer a conversation with a farmer and a conversation with a florist going forward so that we can kind of get both perspectives and maybe get some interesting collaborations d- discussed about, you know, if, if there's a farmer and a florist listening to this who want to come share stories of resilience, reach out to me because I think that would be really fascinating as well to look at ways that, um, you know, just innovative ways people are creating um, opportunities to sustain their businesses. I
1: think that's really exciting. Thanks for doing
0: that. <laughs> well, thanks for jumping on with me, Celeste, and and, and sharing uh, re- in real time basically what's happening on the ground with what <laughs> with you with free range flowers and um, and also in our region. So um, I didn't even really know about that till we got on the phone, and um, I'm I think it's it's just one snapshot of what m- is probably happening in states all across the country and in provinces all across Canada. So so. Uh, reach out to me and let you let me know what's happening on in your um in your region as well and celeste will you um, we'll also just for fun i want to show some of your flowers and some of your designs and your farm on our show notes so people can picture you and um think about where you are and um hopefully reach out to you and let you know how helpful this was
1: well thanks topra thank okay.
0: you so much yeah i'll let you get back to your watering <laughs> okay. thanks Celeste has shared links to many of the forums and webinars that she's discussed, and we're going to post those in today's show notes at deboraprincing.com for episode 446. You'll also find photos of this young flower farmer, her growing grounds, and her flowers. Next up, my visit to Terrabella Flowers and a sit-down with Melissa Fevier. The occasion for our conversation was to discuss the beautiful floral couture dress that she designed for the fleur-de-ville display, held in Seattle February 26th to March 1st at the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival and at Seattle's Pacific Place. MPS, if you missed it, I've included a link to my February 19th podcast episode with Fleur de ville founders Karen Marshall and Tina Barkley in today's show notes. More than a dozen Slow Flowers designers and teams participated as fleur-de-ville artists to create floral couture that adorned life-size mannequins. Melissa designed the mythical floral garment for our Slow Flowers-sponsored mannequin, which featured all local and domestic botanicals. I want to share more about that project as well as hear Melissa's update on her floral business. Here's Melissa's artistic statement about her fleur-de-ville design. Persephone, goddess of spring, emerges from the underworld, and with each step, garden roses, blooming branches, and spring blooms awaken and burst into a vibrant display of color. Inspired by Art Nouveau painter Alphonse Mucha, our Persephone is adorned exclusively with American-grown blooms and botanicals. Terabella founder and creative director, Melissa Fevier, is a founding member of the Slow Flowers Movement, a campaign designed to inspire the floral industry and its consumers to embrace local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers. Well, that was a cool uh, statement to have right next to this beautiful display. And I've added a link to Terabella's About page where you can read more of Melissa's story and check out photos of her beautiful light-filled shop where plants flourish in a conservatory-like atmosphere and where the fragrance of flowers greets those who enter. We sat together in two velvet upholstered vintage chairs and recorded this interview on March 11th. My, so much has happened in the two weeks since. I hope you find the same inspiration as I have from this intrepid and intentional artist. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. I'm so excited today to uh, reintroduce Melissa Fevierre of Terabella Flowers in Seattle. She's a past guest of this podcast. Hi, Melissa. Hello. It's been a while, though, hasn't it?
2: It has. It's What's been it? some time. Like five
0: years, maybe, since. Oh gosh. We did that podcast.
2: Yeah. Right. But yeah. Right in the beginning.
0: Before the Field to Base dinner, I think, is when we did it. We were in the car, maybe.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's been oh a while. Oh my gosh! It has been a minute.
0: <laughs> well, I, that's okay. I like to. I like to do the Where is she now? Chapters of of the podcast. So this is perfect. (laughs) Um, Before we get started, I want to just give huge accolades to Melissa for what she pulled off as one of the uh, 12 maybe designers who participated in Floridaville at the Northwest Lauren Garden Festival uh, just at the end of February. Um, Your Persephone. Uh, model adorned in botanicals was simply beautiful. Thank and, you. Yeah, let's show some, we'll share some photos with, with uh, people today uh, so they can see what you've created. Wonderful. Yeah. So what happened was, uh, and some of you may recall that I um, had Tina and Karen, the ladies who started Fleur de Vil, on the podcast about a month ago. Um, I got to know them because I was also working with the Flower show and I kind of started realizing that at the end of February in Seattle, um, most of the uh, flowers that would be available for florists to use would probably have to be imported. And just because of the seasonality mm-hmm. of our you know our growing time, and I thought, oh, I want to guarantee that at least one of these dresses is all domestic. And I asked them if I could recruit uh, someone who I, had in mind to do it, and it was you, and they said yes, and then you said yes. Yes. Was it hard?
2: It was a little challenging because, you know, a wonderful fallback are those workhorses like the carnations and the chrysanthemums that are just going to stay where you put them without needing much of a water reserve. Mm, Yeah. And so had to do a lot of experimentation to figure out what flowers are going to hold up with a limited water um, source. Because, of course, I will not use floral foam um, due to its environmental effects, which any of you listening now are well aware (laughs) of. uh, Well,
0: let's just say when I first met you, Melissa, it was 2010 or 11, and you were talking about no floral foam back then. You were an early adopter and early advocate for finding alternatives to, you know, an old school mechanic. Yes. Yeah. But when it comes to these dresses, some, some of the conventional wisdom I heard was, oh, you can't create a botanical dress on a mannequin without using foam. Right. You it, clearly proved that that was not true.
2: It was It was challenging. And one of the um, beautiful things about Persephone, which was my son's idea, so I have to give Xander some credit here, um, is that Persephone embodies the whole cycle of... of life and death mm. you know she spends a season un- in the underworld and uh, and then comes up in the spring to go and rejoin with her mother and it was so
0: perfect for the flower show too right And so
2: it was okay if some of the some of the mechanics some of the flowers kind of you watch them fade and and pass away but we also had other tricks which I'll talk about further to keep <laughs> yeah. um more of the more precious flowers like the garden roses and such alive through the whole show
0: well, how did you tackle the design? I mean, basically, you're given a mannequin, you have the measurements, and then you have to turn a two-dimensional sketch into a three-dimensional
2: creation. Right. So per- Persephone wanted to have more Grecian, very inspired by Alphonse Mucha, and uh, and just be able to replicate the folds <laughs> in this Grecian-style dress mm. and have it very elegant and very simple. Um, but to have her walking in a spring and then for half of her body, the trail of her dress to still be basically in the underworld. And so I had roots and and different mosses which would just fade in the, from those darker tones through the chartreuse greens and blushes and oranges and burgundies, you know, all the way up to to white, where she embodied the lightness,
0: and this incredible headpiece, yeah, that was crazy.
2: I do love my my, my head my head floral <laughs> No, this is this is such.
0: beyond a floral crown. <laughs> this was just, I mean, it, it almost counter, it almost was a counterbalance to the weight on the at the base, right.
2: No, and that was really fun because what I did is I, I wanted to have a water reserve on her head. Oh. And how was I going to have a bowl of water on this mannequin's head? <laughs> oh, my gosh. But that had it teetering off, and so naturally the structure was going to be massive. And so I made basically a a donut roll of, of uh, chicken wire stuffed with um, different mosses,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then inside that Basically that wreath that I created, then I had a little um, little bowl filled with water and chicken wire and all, everything then wired in together. Oh so it was a hat that just then sat on her head, and then f- from the moss I could have things like the alstroemeria, which doesn't need much water, and and then and lots of plumosa and different type of local ferns. And berries, and then within the water reserve, then you had the tulips, the parrot tulips, and the garden roses, and
0: so those actually weren't drinking the water. Those were in
2: water, but flowing out and oh mixing in with the other, other botanicals and blooms that didn't quite need that much.
0: That's so interesting because of the mannequins are elevated on a five-foot, like plant or base. The mannequins do they're, they're at eye level, but the, that headpiece was above people's. Eyesight, so they couldn't. No one could really tell that that's what you had done, right? Correct. Wow. Wow. How did you uh, then? um, You know, a couple days in, how did you refresh that water, or did you?
2: (laughs) Once it was on the pedestal, there was no way for me to get it up up onto the top. So what water was there was there, and um, and it held up surprisingly well. Yeah, I think with all of the other botanicals coming out of the wreath itself the flowers that were within just kind of shriveled back down so you didn't see anything dying that was in the top because it just, it yeah. just naturally worked yeah. just like better than nature. I had planned.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just like in nature when, yeah. when things kind of finish their bloom and they they fade back into the earth. Yes. Um, I do. I did hear a few comments about how amazing it was to suggest the earth by using skulls and bones yeah. and all, uh, so you got a lot of props for that.
2: Right. So um, one of the things I think our listeners need to know is that I live in one of the most beautiful places in the Pacific Northwest, which is Vashon Island. So very inspired by my environs. We collected so much local mosses oh and my, my my son, yeah. his own skull collection from, you know, deer skulls and
0: just things that <laughs> are at the house. Just,
2: yeah. <laughs> Jawbones from old, wreck. you know. Coyotes and such. Um, just stuff
0: you found on your property, it sounds Just stuff like. yeah. we found
2: just in the local woods. Yeah. Uh, and on our, yes, sadly, on our property. <laughs> um. But
0: there's, that's nature. Yes. And that's earthy. Right. So you were telling a story. It wasn't just, uh, I mean, obviously fashion had a big part of it because it was a fashionable piece. But there was more there. Correct. How many stems of flowers do you think you used? All total. Or branches and...
2: i really couldn't give you a number for that there was no there was no calculating stems at this point in time i just wanted to make sure that i can get that gradient of colors Mm -hmm. from dark to light Mm -hmm. and to make sure that i in within my the varieties that i use i had enough flowers to fill it and to do some replacements throughout the week if necessary
0: so i feel like uh you know that planning takes a little bit of guesswork, then you're having to kind of calculate, like you could probably in your brain do the math for how many stems you need for a bridal bouquet, but this was a little bit more...
2: Did a lot of surface area with her dress. You did. Yeah, that <laughs> train was huge. Yeah.
0: yeah. And all the other designers had that sort of same challenge. Some of them did like mini dresses, which then you're like, oh, she got off easy. But, you know, it had maybe other challenges. So, mm-hmm. um, well, it's beautiful. And uh, it will live in our memories and, and the photography. So, um, thank you. Thank you for sharing the Slow flowers message, too, in what you did. Because you used all domestic, well, foraged and cultivated.
2: Correct. So everything um, was sourced from the West Coast, and that's uh, great. Yeah, that's great. It felt really nice to be able to to do that and and show that it it could work. And and yes, for you know our listeners that are on the East Coast and places where they don't have the luxury of of having
0: California, California California being
2: (laughs) being a close neighbor. You know, you do what you can and and work as sustainably as as possible and that's what we always try to do.
0: Yeah, and and uh, you know, you people do these kinds of commissions or collections um in some cases I think for the pure pure artistic and creative challenge although I know there was a marketing component to it. Do you feel like you I don't know. Express your brand to you know tens of thousands of flower show goers, or was you know, how did you connect with people? And when you were working there, did people ask you about Persephone? And
2: oh yeah, how I mean Persephone it? was was different. I mean each. Each of the dresses were just so gorgeous and so unique and so creative. But Persephone was definitely the wild child of the bunch, I think. <laughs> hmm. um, she says
0: proudly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just because of all the roots that I embodied within her and the branches and the berries and just made it very, very organic looking, um, it, it definitely caught attention from from the other pieces. I, I, yeah, just because it's uniqueness and it and it definitely has its own audience because everybody's going to gravitate to what seems to yeah. reflect the them, themselves a little bit better.
0: That's a really good point. And yet, because it was a flower and garden show, and your, the mannequins were on the floor with the display gardens, there was a, there were a lot of hortheads and plant freaks, and like that, you kind of spoke to that crowd as well. Yes. And the northwest, and I don't
2: know that everybody quite got why there is deer skulls, you know, (laughs) (laughs) weaved into. But until they kind of read the story, but but for those that that did get it, they really got it, and really just absolutely loved, and so much wonderful feedback. Yeah,
0: that's right. You have wrote uh, like an artist statement, so I'll include Mm -hmm. that in um, our show notes with photos of the of the dress, so people can kind of see where you were going with that. Um, well, good. Well, I also want to, wanted to have a chance to selfishly come visit your shop because since the last time uh, we had you on the podcast, you've moved a few doors down um, in the same neighborhood. But yeah, give we- us a snapshot of, of where we are now and, and describe it because it's an it's amazing space. Well,
2: I'm going to take a couple couple years further. Okay. And um, I've been in this neighborhood for... for since the beginning, right? Oh, good. I'm almost, almost about eighteen years. Wow. Um, as oh, I, right. And tell us I about start, that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll, I, we'll get to the new shop eventually. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, just briefly, I started out of an Airstream trailer. That's right. Here in the Greenwood neighborhood, and uh, and had a little beautiful canopy. It was an eighteen foot Airstream trailer, and with this blue and white striped canopy that I would pull out every morning and pull my buckets out from within the within the trailer. And then I had a little workstation inside of my water source and, and I would sell flowers out of my Airstream trailer.
0: And that in Greenwood neighborhood, we should tell people, is sort of just north of Seattle, of downtown Seattle. It's Mm -hmm. definitely a pedestrian strong neighborhood. Yeah. We're close to
2: the Wooden Park Zoo. Mm -hmm.
0: But Melissa, think about how hot mobile floristry is right now. Like people doing this idea in, you know, old vintage trucks and, you know, VW vans. You did this 18 years ago. You're the OG. <laughs> I mean, this is amazing. Like, I, I've, I just love that part of your story. You, you were, you weren't mobile though. You were actually parked in a parking lot, right?
2: I was, I was parked in a parking lot because mm-hmm. it was just you
0: know, they're, they're,
2: they're, they're beasts. Yeah, <laughs> <It's all
0: laughs> yeah. I wouldn't around. want to drive on the city streets with that. But yeah. I mean, you, you used it as your pop up store, but it was permanent,
2: right? Yeah. And what was the name of that shop? Um, that was called the Pleasure Garden. The Pleasure Garden. The Pleasure Garden. Based off of the old um, uh, Victorian... Yeah, concept. ...places of just where people would meet and perform their different arts, be it reading, be it poetry, being the staged. These gardens would just create neighborhood centers of beauty and, and pleasure. Now, through history, the Pleasure Garden got other other meanings. <laughs> other meanings, but I try to embody just the first point of what the Pleasure Garden were. I think it has for. a strong, yeah,
0: strong literary yeah. connection.
2: And maybe there's a little tongue-in-cheek there, but you know.
0: <clears throat> yeah, a little
2: sassy. Little sassy. Um so and then
0: and that you did for a few years before you went to a, 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 a brick and mortar kind of shop, right?
2: Right. And so I was I was there for a little while, but um, there was a few situations like my husband had gone a motorcycle accident. My child at the time had to have reconstructive hip surgery. I just had to close my doors. It wasn't the time. It's like a and, per- life got in the and way. And then, um, and then a couple months later, somebody saw a Craigslist ad for a flower shop down the street that was for sale, at a very reasonable price. They were needing to get out, and I jumped on that opportunity. And that was Finny Rich Florist.
0: And that's sort of another name for this neighborhood, right? Yeah. Finney
2: Ridge. Yeah. So yes, Finney Ridge Greenwood.
0: And you said right before we turn on the the recorder that this is your 16th year and your sweet 16 celebration is going on since I took over that flower. shop. Oh, my gosh, Melissa. That is amazing. And I do remember that old flower shop up the street because we're on like 74th and that was like 80 something, 85th, 85th. Okay. when you started when you bought finney ridge florist did you intend to rebrand right away as terabella or
2: i i knew yes yeah yeah i did i didn't want to completely change over because it, it came with a lot of very loyal customers sure. who are still my still my clients to this wow. day and and i wanted to make sure that they kept the beautiful shop and and mission that it was you know mm-hmm. true but, and then slowly started implementing my own um, my own ambitious
0: <laughs> vision
2: <laughs> visions over <laughs> over that which was to be to drop the wire services to focus as much as possible on organic and locally grown flowers because mm-hmm. it was a conventional flower shop and there were some expectations of price pricing being lower that they were going to get with those arrangements but oh it, you
0: mean with the with the wire service recipes they were doing the
2: wire service and they had yeah. to follow within those cookie cutter mm-hmm. style designs and um that's not you it no there's no creativity mm-hmm. there mm-hmm.
0: yeah that's a really good point it's like you could be i don't know making marshmallows or something like following a recipe isn't really what what gets you out of bed in the morning breaking the recipe is what gets you out of bed in the morning. <laughs> true, so, true. so over the years then you've gone so you've gone from obviously you had the airstream uh trailer but then you had shop number one and then you have had shop number two which i recall as i recall you moved into like right before valentine's day and you were pregnant like that was kind of crazy right yes <laughs>
2: Yes. <laughs> was that like five or six years ago? Uh, seven years ago. Oh, my gosh. That baby is yes. seven now. She's seven now. Wow. Um, and that,
0: uh, so that was a good good space for you. What square footage was that? The, the the two shops prior to this one were about the same size, right? Correct. Okay. Like a 1,000 square feet or something like yeah, that? Yeah, just
2: under. It was about 900 square feet.
0: Okay. Um, what, what happened to Prompt this new space, which, by the way, we'll have to show photos. It, you feel like you're in... I don't know, a conservatory with all the floor to ceiling glass, but it's been it's old and it has a character to it and the floors are wood and the the molding is still on the walls and you know there's branches and foliage and ferns everywhere along with the flowers. I mean it's it's mm-hmm. very inviting.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I
0: hope I described it well. Oh, and there's an iron way. bed filled with succulents too. Our our
2: our our plant bed. <laughs>
0: your plant bed, yeah, yes. <laughs> right. right. I mean, you. I felt like things were going really well two doors down, and then, yeah. what prompted this, uh, you know, decision to double your size? Uh, necessity. Yeah.
2: We. It was a very small, small square footage for doing any larger production work, and we had another building that we had storage in, and this. When this location next door opened up, it was just like, or it it was, it was a wonderful opportunity for us to combine the storage facility and have everything all in one location, and uh, and
0: more, more, more of the square footage devoted to the retail side of the business, so people can come in and experience the
2: space. So we can keep a lot more inventory, more gifts. a lot more plants because i love my botanicals and yeah. plants and we can also teach classes now which we really didn't have the opportunity to do before so it's been being being used um for teaching classes and it is hired out for private events at times oh wow yeah
0: um your shop is in a as i mentioned earlier a really high pedestrian neighborhood and that and also just a lot of um just a lot of cool things happening with great restaurants and other, you know, independent retailers. So it's just a good environment for um, having customers who value small businesses and yeah. and independent it's, women-owned it's businesses. It's a wonderfully
2: supportive neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, That's great.
0: Um, you mentioned doing the workshops. Now I know you've taught, you've always taught maybe just uh, off-site or one-on-ones, and so so now you actually kind of have a dedicated place where you can have design workshops? Correct. So how frequently are you doing them?
2: We are doing them about twice a month. Wow. We just had one over the weekend Dutch um, called Dutch Masters and so that was taking kind of those old Dutch floral paintings and recreating the style of floral that you would have seen in those in these paintings so kind of still life florals and that was that was a blast. That was wow. really fun. So
0: who's taking the courses? Are they your customers or how do what would you describe the the typical student
2: there are customers our mm-hmm. followers on instagram and facebook and um we had one couple that drove up from portland wow. to come and they're going to uh, take our next class peonies and prosecco will be our class in may
0: oh peonies and prosecco that's good i can't argue yeah about.
2: so they're coming up that's <coughs> worth the drive from yeah, portland don't you absolutely. think? absolutely i love um, that and then we're having a one taught by one of our other designers here. uh, It's gonna be Ikebana-inspired florals. Wow. And that's gonna be in April.
0: So it's almost like you are coming up with topics that people are interested in, but also there's a bit of seasonality to it. Right, so
2: the Dutch Masters was very much about using the ranunculas and French, all the parrot tulips Mm -hmm. and hellebores. Mm, That's perfect,
0: all those Dutch flowers,
2: right, mm
0: -hmm. yeah. Wow, do you like to teach? I love it. Yeah, yeah. That I can see. It's your—you're an educator, and and I think when you have the workshops, you're giving people another way to interact with flowers than just ordering from you. And it, maybe once they learn some design techniques, they value your services more. I would hope. You're not like giving away all your secrets, so they're not going to stop <laughs> buying from you, right?
2: No, well, what most people realize is they didn't realize it, how difficult it actually was yeah. because floral arrangements it takes a lot to learn and get those mechanics right to begin with yeah. yeah and so and and every every designer has their own way of starting out with the basic mechanics and how the design is going to f- be formed at that point point. and then of mm-hmm. course all of our mechanics are mm-hmm. are sustainable mechanics so no floral foam so yeah. I do teach my tricks of um well, you
0: mentioned the chicken wire earlier, but I I have to say you're the first person who ever showed me uh, that you could use excelsior as um, a way to stabilize stems. I don't know if that's something you do all the time, but it was a big it was a big urn. I think you were designing.
2: Right. So it's I we do use excelsior occasionally. Um, another material that I really love is angel vine. Hmm. It's much stiffer, but it. We, you can kind of create these beautiful nests and weave the flowers in oh, wow. through them oh, wow. and what I like about excelsior and the angel vine as opposed to the chicken wire is that the entire thing is compostable you can take the entire arrangement and throw it in your yeah. compost pile as opposed to having to clean out the the wire which then it can be absolutely reused sure I guess that's
0: also a curly willow would kind of fall into that category then. Yes, exactly. Well, talking about those techniques and how I I remember learning a lot of them from you when we first met. I have to just, I guess, give a shout out to the fact that uh, when we met, I was still working uh, and not and didn't have a plan, but had this idea for the 50 mile bouquet. And I think I met you through David Perry, our photographer. Did did I think he so. introduce? He met you through Jella Mold, I think, and somehow that little thread yeah. wove our friendship I can't together. can't quite remember. So we did a photo shoot in January of, I believe it was January 2010, because I was still living in California and I came up to do something with the Northwest Flower and Garden Show. So maybe February, but anyway, you agreed to do a photo shoot in your old shop that David, uh, you know, photographed on a gray, dark, uh, you know, winter day, but there was, he had some lighting, I think, and uh, it was wonderful. And from that, there's so many things that we've done together or been at the table for like, well, we got the book published, but then the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market launched and you were one of the founding members of that. Correct. I wonder if you would just like reflect back on the last decade and your professional decade. changes. Well, because, well, since yes. we met in 2010 yeah. and now yeah. 2020, I have to say that you were like along this path and I was following you. And there's just so, it's so inspiring that now it's not quite so hard to explain what we care about to people. They start to understand. It. Right.
2: Do you see that? I do. There was a, it, a lot of, trying to justify the expense of using local flowers and stereotypes of that local flowers mm. were shorter lived that we had a work past. And um, yeah, it's there's been a lot of education and I give you so much credit mm. for that education for having a much larger voice than a small little independent flower shops can provide for ourselves. Oh my
0: gosh, but I wouldn't have the knowledge if I hadn't, you know been able to interview you and and just watch what your choices that you've made it's pretty amazing really when i think about uh the fact that we still sometimes feel like we're pushing that boulder uphill by ourselves but it's i i do sense that there's more consciousness and more mindfulness among consumers in general at least to be open to the conversation Mm -hmm. um and you you know you when you mentioned that organic was a priority when you first started, I remember learning from you that you had uh, a customer base of people with chemical sensitivities, and so correct, you know, there were all kinds of considerations for that type of floral
2: design as well.
0: Is that still part of
2: of some of the services you offer? Absolutely. We um, also work with a lot of chefs who want to make sure that if they're incorporating roses into their Rose pudding or whatever it might be, um, bartenders who infuse flowers into their cocktails. They A lot of them come to us because they know that we're going to be able to source. And because we, we have good relationships with our local growers. So even though they're not organic certified, we know from our growers, you know, which ones are going to be pesticide free. They can give us the toxicity of the plant itself. Wow. And we're able to um, supply the needs of, of of our restaurateurs as um, clientele as well.
0: I think we need an edible uh, floral class here at Tarabella Ooh. with cocktails.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm all over that one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, um, this is a uh, start of spring and I am looking at your beautiful parrot tulips. I'm looking at the flowering branches ready to burst open. Yeah. Oh, in fact, that magnolia, that yellow magnolia is blooming. Oh, my God. Oh, is beautiful? Um, so w- I know that you have a, a more desirous sourcing in for local and and so now you're kind of tapering back on maybe on what you're buying from California and starting to pivot more to, toward local as we get into spring
2: as the seasons as as it as it warms up yeah. more and more product that I can certainly buy that's going to be local from our local growers, opposed to California. But thank God for California in the winter.
0: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> Especially, like you said, we are we have we have two states away, and Oregon is even growing more winter product than Cal- than Washington State. Mm-hmm. So that's really great. Right. Are you growing anything yourself anymore? I know
2: that you had or you had access to maybe a family land or something that you were growing. Well, uh, we have property over on oh. Um we moved over there because we do have some acreage and, and with the intent of growing, growing my own flowers and outside of some woodies that were already pre existing there. This is the year where it's really going to start. And I keep saying that, that's but awesome. it's really going to happen. That's awesome. Um, yeah. We have some stuff and I do bring a lot, of, a lot of cuttings for the foliage and such that I use in our designs.
0: I mean, that's a separate business too. And if you are, you know, you're running a, a full service retail flower shop it's sort of hard to be a flower farmer on the side but it sounds like you've got some some crops that you're going to plant or
2: yes I'm going to leave the the heavy hitters like the dahlias and peonies to to the professionals but there's no reason why I can't um, grow some Dusty Miller and oh yeah and, some evergreen stuff yeah, right you know a few miracles here and there whatever it might be
0: that's cool so um, I guess I'm Kind of leading up to say, like, what what is on deck for t- the rest of 2020? I mean, workshops have already launched, and it sounds like they're going to continue on. Um, uh, and what is the other? What are the other facets of of what is taking up a lot of your time with Terra Bella Flowers? Is it the weddings or um, local deliveries? How do you divide it The your weddings. Pie?
2: The weddings have always. Been- existed and they will always be there yeah. Yeah. but it's never been our main our focus our focus is very very much community based we want to have a retail flower shop that people can come in literally stop and smell the roses and because we just feel out of so many flower shops have closed down over the years and to be able to fr- provide that
0: that experience. sensory yeah. experience
2: is really important. I love seeing the people's faces when they come in, and and I've worked really hard in creating this ambiance here in the shop that's just welcoming and relaxing, a little solace when they walk through the doors. And
0: it's true, Melissa. I mean, these comfy vintage velvet, velvet upholstered chairs, and then the there's a ottoman on the other side, and there's fragrance that is just like so appealing you do feel like your your metabolism changed when you walk in here and and you've achieved that thank you yeah and when you're producing some crazy deadline with lots of centerpieces maybe maybe you have to stop and remind yourself that it's still relaxing <laughs>
2: <laughs> it can get a little crazy in here and yeah. and, and there's florists will know but there's it's our job to keep behind the scenes, behind the scenes, yeah. and make it just look beautiful and easy, and you know, yeah. and not not let people see us sweat. But there's a lot of sweat involved. I know. There's a lot of sweat, lot of tears broken,
0: involved, a lot of broken nails. But luckily, there's a, a nail salon nails, in
2: your own space. A <laughs> lot of crooked backs. It's it's a lot more physically taxing no. than people realize. As
0: but well. um, I liked it when we when I first walked in and you were giving me a tour. I liked what you pointed out that you've moved some of your work tables a little bit more visible kind of like a you know an open kitchen at a restaurant or something you, you are you are designing in some somewhat public space here, right yes okay and and that what happens when someone does that happen when someone comes in and wants a, a, an order to go or if if you're just producing from other orders people can stop and watch you people both. just
2: like to come in and, and see what we're doing mm-hmm. um, and it made used to make me very nervous and I like to be behind the scenes because having somebody look over your shoulder is a little unnerving but um, I've been at this for a few yeah. years now yeah. and you're uh, poised
0: you're very poised.
2: and and my employees know to be comfortable with it as well and they can always hide in the back if they want to yeah. but I love being again able to provide that interactive experience and people to see what we're doing and mm. That's wonderful. And, um, and to answer your question about what's, what's in store for us, it really is staying very community-based and creating those experiences. Mm-hmm. And so teaching more classes, but also teaching more um, classes to other florists. We're going to be having master classes for, oh, right. for um, designers who want to take it to the next level and create that space for them and do series of classes. So if they want to do learned handwork or how I create the floral crowns, you know, there's going to be a class there. And then if they want to add to that, how we construct our bridal bouquets, they can do that, larger pieces, so on and so right.
0: forth. So do you envision those be more one-on-one or just small groups uh, for the master classes? Um, small groups. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we don't. Um, our class size is very small, we, yeah. which is why we have a couple of them. So we'll teach Dutch masters every other week. Basically, we wow. teach the same cl- class because there's no more than eight people per class. Because we really, I have assistance and we make sure it's all hands on. You get as much attention as you need. So,
0: mm-hmm. And are the classes usually after hours or are they during the, the like, uh, like in the evening or weekends? Or are they just during the time that the stores open?
2: Um, we've been doing them from four to six oh. on Saturdays. Oh, okay. So and our store is open until four. And so there's a little bit of a crossover oh. there. But that's okay, but th- it seems to work well. There's no reason why we can't be doing a little both because I time out.
0: you can go you can still go out to dinner afterwards or you can have lunch and then come and, and support your local restaurants. And we've right. got many wonderful restaurants here. Uh,
2: in we do. the neighborhood.
0: Wow. Well, I I just love what you're doing, and I'm so glad you're my friend, and that you're Aww. one of the truly originals in the slow flowers. I'm so happy to have you family. in my life as well, Deborah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, we'll be sure to get some new photos to share with everyone, yes. and just, and I know I have access to those lovely mannequin photos of Miss Persephone, and uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I'd like to share those too. So thanks so much,
2: Melissa. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today as we shared two important conversations. It's bittersweet listening to my conversation with Melissa recorded as we sat together just two weeks ago inside of her bustling, busy flower shop. Today, the message on Tara Bella's homepage is probably a lot like the one on yours. It reads, Hello, friends, we will be accepting online orders for delivery. Thank you so much for your love and support. Before we started recording, Melissa and I casually mentioned the possible effect that Seattle area businesses would feel due to the coronavirus, and she reminded me this, my business survived the economic downturn and will survive this. I take comfort in her resilience as an artist and entrepreneur. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that the silver lining of the enforced quarantine in our world, in my world at least, has led to walks on the beach at Saltwater State Park and to my finishing up my rose pruning and fertilizing project. Our plants, seeds and bulbs are oblivious to the madness around us. And for that, I take comfort. I send blessings to each of you and a personal wish that you can be grounded in this time. It's time to thank our amazing sponsors. First, this podcast is brought to you by SlowFlowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist's Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deboraprenzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 446 the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at longfield-gardens.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farms to streamline working with their buyers. By lessening the administrative load and increasing efficiency, Farmers Web helps your farm save time, reduce errors, and work with more buyers overall. Learn more at farmersweb.com. Well, the fourth annual Slow Flowers Summit is scheduled to take place in late June, but I wanna make a few comments for those those of you who've registered or who are planning on doing so. I wanna address concerns regarding the coronavirus, COVID-19, and concerns that are affecting all of us in our daily lives. Rest assured, we're working in partnership with the summit venue, Filoli, to monitor the options available to reschedule the summit. We'll have an announcement on those plans soon. And I'm as eager as you are to experience a fabulous conference that's presented in a safe environment. You can contact us anytime with questions. And I've added links to my email and that of our event managers, Karen Thornton, in today's show notes. You can also follow links to the phylole visit page and the slow flower summit page for additional updates the slow flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 590,000 times by listeners like you thank you for listening commenting and sharing it means so much as our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the american cut flower industry the momentum is contagious i know you feel it too I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.